This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. Open seven days a week, three blocks east of Coquitlam Center in beautiful Port Coquitlam. MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. Well, welcome to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Berg. J.D., you can sit down now. Okay, You okay. can sit down now. The anthem's over. Right. The show anthem. <laughs> the show anthem, that is. Uh, J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden alongside with you for the next two hours. Actually, three hours, because we are going to be the pregame show for the Canucks and the Maple Leafs as well, which goes down at 4 o'clock. So at 3 o'clock, we'll give way to the pregame show. But for the next two hours, it's rink-wide. We'll cover the Canucks, of course, but we'll also take a full walk around the NHL. It's the end of the month, Leap Day, in fact. Yep. And uh, we're going to have Thomas Drantz from The Athletic in Vancouver, a regular here on the show, in our end-of-the-month roundtable. And we've got a special guest, Ian McCletchy. Oh, special is one way to put it. Yeah, exactly. His, his career has taken like a sharp turn for the better ever since we did the morning show together. He got the J.D. Burke bump, and I know that's a big thing here at TSN yeah. 40 so yeah. he'll have a chance to thank me live on air, and I'm really looking forward you to it. You know the bump is supposed to be a positive thing, not a negative thing, right? Like in, in, he, yeah. He's been doing more shows since then, man. Okay. The, the results are there. Why, it, you guys, did you host together? I wasn't listening. Oh, we sure did. It was okay. great. It was, it was over great. the holidays? Absolutely. Okay. His mentions are now filled with happy people on Twitter. It's <laughs> the J.D. Burke effect. <laughs> Sit All down for friends. one anthem. Yeah. One anthem. All right, big show ahead of us today here, guys. Uh, we'll drop the puck, let you know all the bigger stories that are happening around the NHL in uh, just a moment. We'll talk to Kristen Shilton. She's from TSN in Toronto. She covers the Maple Leafs. Uh, we'll get her at one thirty, around one We're going to talk to Cam Davies. Now, this is uh, a buddy of yours, J.D., and Cam's doing some good stuff trying to raise some money, so we'll let you guys in on all of that in just a moment in the second hour, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Thomas Drantz, Ian McCletchy, our rink-wide end of the month roundtable. Before we uh, dive into uh, the Drop the Puck segment, J.D., uh, the Canucks, uh, with quite an interesting week, um, they get a 4-3 loss to Montreal in a game that they were down early, uh, able to come back and uh, get the W over a Habs team that uh, eh, maybe not the most worthy opponent, but uh, early on in that game, they certainly were. And speaking of really unworthy opponents, the Ottawa Senators, a couple of nights later, and the Canucks lay an egg in Ottawa, 5-2 loss. Um, as we start the show here uh, this week, they are now six points behind the Golden Knights. Should should we be in panic mode right now with the Canucks? No, I don't think so. I think it's easy to, to find oneself in that position. I mean, you look at the team right now. They're without Brock Besser. They're without Jacob Markstrom. Uh, they're without Josh Levo, even. And <clears throat> I think that is an underrated absence because one of the early storylines this season was Levo's ability to kind of give the Canucks a modestly effective bottom six, somebody that you could pair with Brandon Sutter and expect to get about break-even results. You take him out of the lineup. That Canucks bottom six... It's basically like going from having one of the top shot share teams in the league on the ice when you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes out there. You take either of them off, and it's like they're the Ottawa Senators. And that's how you lose to the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Now, what I will say, too, is I think a lot of people, they overestimate the impact of any given player to shift 
a score one way or the other in a single game-by-game performance type view. And I made this point earlier about the Jacob Markstrom injury, and I'm going to expand on it when I do my manifesto. No player has the impact unto himself to sink a team to the degree necessary for the Vancouver Canucks to exit the playoff picture over a 20-game sample. If the Canucks don't make the playoff, it's not just going to be a result of the Jacob Markstrom injury. It'll be because they have one of the worst underlying profiles. That said, they should be able to weather this storm. The one thing that they need to watch out for is bad luck, and of course there's nothing they can really do about that. It happens to the best of teams, but that's the only way I can imagine this group not making the playoffs with the position that they put themselves in. Yeah, it happened in the Ottawa game with that uh, bounce that the, uh, ended up right in front of the net, and Ottawa was able to bury it in that one. Uh, but again, these things do happen. I mean, it yes. happened for the Canucks in San Jose. The stanchion was born, and why it aren't? <laughs> and they're yeah. able to... Uh, and that coward's not even showing up today, Yeah, yeah, we usually have Wyatt as uh, one of our uh, roundtable guests today. He's actually, he's high-classing it today. He's not slumming oh, it with us. Oh, what's that uh, mean? He's at the uh, wine festival. Yes. What? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. That was the story he gave you? Holy oh, he is. He told me. And then he got Moj on here yesterday talking about how he can't get tickets for it. Moj can't get tickets. But oh, why? two guys my. that I did not think would be at wine festivals, Wyatt and Moj. Oh, we got some breaking news here. Oh, here we go. Not especially relevant to the Vancouver Canucks, but definitely relevant to the playoff picture in the NHL. Tampa Bay has announced Whoa. that Steven Stamkos is going to undergo surgery to repair a core muscle injury and that he will be out six to eight weeks. Wow. That's a big one. Wow. Yep. For a pretty volatile team in Tampa Bay, too. Tampa Bay uh, losers of four straight after winning 11 in a row. And they are the opponent of the uh, Calgary Flames tonight as well. So, yikes. Not uh, good news for Tampa Bay Lightning fans. And uh, looks like Steven Stamkos will be out for a good chunk of the playoffs as well there. So, uh, definitely keep our eye on that. But um, uh, getting back to the Canucks, uh, when you look at the uh, game in Ottawa the other night, and I talked to Jeff Patterson about this earlier, are you surprised that there haven't been any roster, uh, or excuse me, lineup moves you know, with Fantenberg and Myers and how just disastrous the two were together. Are you surprised that Ben didn't get slotted in? I, I am a little bit. And, you know, I think that Fantenberg benefited from getting a lot of good bounces when he was first inserted into the lineup. And he's been riding that ever since. Mm-hmm. If you look at a lot of his on-ice numbers, the Canucks are getting clinically outshot, outchanced, outscored by a brutal margin when he's on the ice at 5-on-5. Five But he had that first week of play when everybody thought he was playing spectacularly. The only real difference is that he was getting 900-plus goaltending behind him. And now that that has fallen off, he's starting to look like the player that he actually is. I think that it's well past time Jamie Benn got a look. And what's really unfortunate about the situation is when they inserted Jamie Benn for that one appearance, I can't remember, I think it was like over a week ago, yep. he looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought he was fine. That was he, one of the better games He had a strong start to the season, too. I think what's happening is Travis Green is starting to better understand the player that he has in Tyler Myers. And if you look at the way he's distributing ice time among that blue line, Tyler Myers playing with Fantenberg, that's a pair that's not getting difficult minutes yeah green's done what he's done every season which is as he gets to the later part of the season he brings troy stetcher up and he puts him with alex edler and that becomes the ostensible shut down pairing of the vancouver canucks and that's put tyler myers in a position where he doesn't have the cover that he might have had previously and that's how he has a game like he did against the ottawa senators 
probably his worst of the season as a Vancouver Canuck. And I think that one thing the Canucks should look to do is try to stabilize that third pair. The closest they came to that was when they had Troy Stetcher alongside Jamie Benn. Now, I don't think there's going to be much willingness on the part of the coach to break up the Stetcher-Edler unit. I get that. But maybe try bringing Jamie Ben back into the fold and see what he can do with Tyler Myers. I like that pairing, kind of philosophically too. Jordy because, Ben, by the way. Yeah, Jordy Ben. My apologies. Uh, Jordy Ben, not the most mobile defenseman, right? He kind of takes care of things in his own zone, clears the front of the net. He's physical. He can make a solid first pass, but you're not looking for him to skate up and down the ice, right? Tyler Myers is a bit of the opposite of that, right? So yeah. a bit of yin and yang there. I could see it being relatively effective. Yeah, I just I. When I, when I see the pairings and I wonder, you know, that maybe Stetcher would be best down on that bottom pair and have Myers sort of uh, uh, isolated or insulated, I guess, with uh, with Edler. But um, we'll see how things shake down tonight. You know that uh, what's on paper usually gets mixed up as well by Travis Green, especially when the uh, when things are going well for the Canucks. It's an interesting matchup here tonight between these two teams because both teams, you, you'd like to think you know what you're going to get from the Canucks on a night-in and night-out basis. But with Jacob Markstrom down, that's uh, a little difficult to sort of uh, put a finger on. But with the Leafs, you just you never know what you're going to get with this team. And they are just a nightmare in their own zone. Yeah, I mean, I, I was using the word volatile to describe the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think there's a more volatile team in the NHL I agree. than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I don't know how they fix that. I'm not here to answer that question, but... It makes for a pretty compelling matchup because you just don't know what to expect. I mean, talent-wise, you look at this Leafs roster, and they absolutely should be the favorite. But you just don't know what you're going to get out of them on a night-to-night basis. That said, if they find their legs early, if they get on the board early, they get to dictate the, the pace of the hockey game. It could become something of a sprinting match, and I don't like that for the Canucks. You do not want to get into no. that with the, with the lease of your no. Canucks. Yeah. I, I think what you want to do is play low-event hockey and, and see if you can kind of get the benefit of an odd bounce here or there. Don't make it a track meet and see what you can do. Asan and Coquitlam, yes, we know Jordy Ben. Trust me. I was say, taking... say the Ben's name enough, and you'll go Jamie Jordy yeah. back and forth. Every one of us does it. Yeah. I mean, hey, having Jamie Ben would be nice, but I don't know if Jamie Ben would work well on the third pairing. Well, when I made that mistake, I was told that there will be floggings until morale improves. So <laughs> rest assured that uh, the, the issue has been corrected, and uh, punitive measures have been taken. All right, let's drop the puck. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. Okay, so it was a pretty exciting week in terms of uh, stories around the NHL. Trade deadline's always a big one. They had a lot of trades this time, so the guys that uh, do the studio shows weren't bored at least. Uh, a lot of movement uh, at the NHL trade deadline. Uh, some of the surprises for you, I know for me, I guess I'll start things off, um, the Vegas Golden Knights, I did not see them picking up Robin Leonard, but I think it's just the absolute beautiful move by them. Well, absolutely, and and I think the one Achilles heel on that Golden Knights team, I mean, you look at their underlying profile, and they look like a legitimate contender. And I'm not surprised by that, because I think Pete DeBoer is an excellent coach. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was not for the decision to uh, relieve Gerard Gallant of his duties at the time that they did. I thought it was a bit hasty, but look, if there's one person that I might look at as a a definitive upgrade, it might be Pete DeBoer. And so you look at this team, they're controlling upwards of 55% of the shots, expected goals, you name it. They profile like a legitimate contender. They have the talent. They have the playoff experience. The one thing that was a question mark was their goaltending. It was on the lower end, and I think the goaltending is 
actually what cost Gerard Gallant his job, ultimately. They've gone ahead and gotten in front of that. They aren't going to let that situation sink their ship. They get Robin Leonard. The Leafs kind of operate as a mediator, kind of laundering some money between the two sides to make it work. And now what's the weakness on that team? Where is it? I don't know. Is, is there any one area that you look at and say, this no. is something that the Canucks or any other team in the Western Conference can exploit? Yeah. I think that they are, if not the front runner, they're right up there with the Colorado Avalanche in this Western Conference because they're also built on speed, too. It's not just a talent thing. It's not just an underlying profile thing. They play the type of hockey that is necessary to win in the playoffs. They've shown they can do it before. And, man, you, you take care of that one kind of weakness on this roster, and they're looking pretty serious. What about Tampa Bay? We talked about uh, Tampa Bay and how they, uh, if you guys are just tuning in right now, Steven Stamkos is out uh, six to eight weeks undergoing surgery to repair a core muscle injury. But they did some things to really bulk themselves up, uh, bringing in Barkley Goudreau. Uh, they did the Blake Coleman trade as well. Uh, where are you at with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and where do you slot them in in terms of uh, being one of the bigger movers and shakers over this trade deadline? Well, I, I think that they're one of the the leading candidates to make it all the way in the Eastern Conference, are they not? I yeah. mean, you look at the talent on that roster. I know a lot of people are going to look at the additions they made in Blake Coleman where they essentially surrendered two first-round picks because... Nolan Foote was a recent first-round pick. I don't know if I would have taken them that high myself, but that is the, the fact of the matter. Uh, I, I think that what people don't take into account here is that the value in marginal improvements at the top of the heap is so much greater than it would be at the bottom. Like, these tiny little moves that can increase your chances on the margins are that much more valuable when you're at the top of the hill. And I think when you look at this team, you go, well, they've got all the scoring they need. In fact, they might have enough scoring for two or three teams. They've got the goaltending in Vasilevsky, but I think that pushback became an issue in the first round against Columbus. That, and they ran into an incredibly... That's where Goudreau comes in. Exactly, and they ran into an incredibly hot goaltender as Mm -hmm. well. I, I... Look, they identified two excellent bottom six pieces. Blake Coleman's underlying profile is fantastic. He's one of the leading shot generators in the league. Barkley Goodrow has quietly been one of the more effective 13th forwards in the NHL for a very long time. And because of injuries, he's had the chance to ascend to a new role in San Jose and really kind of generated some value for that team. I think you look at what... Uh, Doug Wilson was up against this year and whether you want to say much of it was his fault or otherwise because I think not addressing that goaltending situation is borderline fireable offense unto itself he was working with a pretty crummy hand at this deadline and I think getting a first for Goodrow was pretty pretty tidy work and getting a what was it a second for uh, Brendan Dillon another tidy piece of work getting a third for Patrick Marlowe a player who they basically picked up off the scrap heap yep. like a few months ago yep But as far as it concerns the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've addressed a few areas that I think got exploited last year. And it makes them that much more deadly, that much more well-rounded going into the playoffs for this go-around. And you know that there's so much on the line for this team, whether it's the job of John Cooper, somebody who hasn't been able to get this team over the hump yet, or Julianne Breezeblock, because he has invested a lot in this season. I know he's only been there for two years, but... It's not like he inherited a rebuilding team. He inherited a team that needed that final push to get them over the top. And if he can't do that for them, you have to wonder when the pressure starts to mount on him as well. Where are you at with the Oilers and what they did? Uh, bringing in Athesis, Athesis, oh my goodness. Athanasiu. Everybody's Athanasiu. stumbling on that. Uh, I'm my, not. My, there you go. Got it. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, Athanasiu, Green, 
Ennis. I mean, you know, you give up a couple of second round picks. Sam, yeah, Sam Gagne, whatever, uh, going to Detroit in that one. Um, Cal Brodziak, by the way, which I didn't know Cal Brodziak was still actually <laughs> had an NHL contract. Well, that, Apparently, that, he does. That's the beauty uh, of the Edmonton Oilers. Like, you look at that lineup, and it's like, all right, it's time to remember some guys. Yeah. You know, um, but Tyler Ennis though is one of those guys. I mean, just for a fifth round pick, I mean, that's 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 a good deal, I believe. Totally uh, for Edmonton. Green's tough because of the fact that he's injured right now. Yeah, and, and Anthony Sioux is as well. And, and he's had a really in, like, he's going to win the green jacket this year because uh, he's like a dash Who 45 cares? or whatever. But he's also coming off a 30-goal season last year. Is yeah. Like, wh- where is the player? He's got to be, I don't want to say somewhere in between. He's got to be somebody somewhere further on one side than the other. I mean, like, for me, it's not even, those aren't even the points that I look at because plus-minus is just so completely sure. useless. Especially even on a Detroit Red Wings team, yeah. Remember, Alexander Edler won the green jacket one year, and I don't think that had anything to do with his, his quality as a player. I think that Athanasiu is a, a, a perfectly cromulent middle six piece. Now, what I like about the Athanasiu pickup, though, is that it's such a stylistic mesh with what they need on a Connor McDavid line. And they need a player who can get up and down the ice at breakneck pace, and that is Athanasiu. He might be the fastest non-Connor McDavid skater in the NHL. Now, they paid a premium to get a player that fit that well. Granted, I get that, but there's term on Athanasiu's contract. There's team control there. And I like his chances to be maybe not a 30-goal scorer again. He was benefiting from percentages when that happened. But maybe they can make him be a 20-25 to goal scorer alongside McDavid on a relatively affordable deal. And that, for two seconds, on a team with a modestly deep prospect pool, I don't hate that move. I think that they made some really smart additions, identified players that kind of worked within their cap limitations, found ways to work around what they couldn't do. I mean, this was a pretty good deadline for Ken Holland, and we can talk about whether it's the right time or not to make these moves. They need to prove to Connor McDavid that they can be a contending team. They need to prove to Connor McDavid that they can insulate him with the talent necessary to be a regular playoff contender. I mean, how much longer do they expect him to put up with this? So I get the dynamics at work there, and I think that understanding that, it's hard to argue with much of what Holland had done at this deadline. Yeah, and, and Ennis is just one of those guys. I mean, he had 14 goals last year, or excuse me, 12 goals last year. He's got 15 this year, one of them uh, as a member of the Oilers, but is a former 20-goal scorer. I know that's a bit of an outlier season because he, he did score 23 times uh, in the NHL, but he's also had seasons where he's gone 73 games and scored 8 goals, so don't really think you can pencil in Tyler Ennis as a 20-goal scorer, but he's been there before. But for a fifth round pick, uh, that's just something that you just do all day, every day. Oh, absolutely. And and look, what were the alternatives? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about... Alex Chasson? Yeah. Uh, how about Josh Lu- Archibald? How about Louis Domingue <laughs> for the Canucks as we uh, uh, focus now a little more on the home team here? Uh, a, a necessity of a pickup, but where are you at with the goaltender? Uh, he might play two or three games. Sure. And, and Stopgap. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he'll be modestly passable in those games. Uh, you know what? Smart move by the Canucks, though, identifying a player that they wouldn't have to surrender an asset to acquire. I'll, I'll give them a tip of the cap on that one. Okay, the David Ayer story. This all happened after we got off air uh, last week. Of course, uh, you know, just, just can't the skip over 40, the 40s. Well, right? it's a big can't story. Can't make it one segment. It, it, it's a big story. Holy uh, 
exactly. Uh, oh, so the David Ayer story is was it good or bad for the NHL? Do you think it's going to be something that we all forget in like two weeks? I mean, like, really? Uh, oh, okay, but no, but will there be changes though? Yeah, that would just be hilarious to me. Like the NHL, you look at all the issues that this league faces. You know, there was the the coaching moment. Uh, the systemic concussions, concussions yeah. systemic racism being revealed in the sport. And then all of a sudden there's this backup goalie story and everybody is on board with it, as far as I can tell anyway. And they have to react to it immediately. It's just like, huh, pretty revealing about your priorities, eh, NHL? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Just thinking out loud here. I, I just don't really care. Like, it's not going to happen more than once a year, if that. But what if what if this, the situation was for the Canucks, for example? Yeah. What if this happened to the Canucks, and they're chasing a team, and, and or, or, or I'll bring it back to what actually happened. What if the Leafs had a lit-up airs, and they go on, win the game, then instantly, right away, you're going to have people, well, he works in the system with the Leafs, so therefore, you know, maybe there was some shenanigans there. Then also, if you're the Florida Panthers, you look at it and go, at the end of the year, if they lose out by two points and I know those points are all over the place in the season, but you could take that one game and put it under the microscope and be like, we lost because these guys played against a beer league goaltender and now we're losing out on millions because of the fact that we didn't make the playoffs. Like, to me, I love the story. I love the fact that, you know, you got this beer league 42-year-old goaltender who once drove a Zamboni that went out and won a hockey game and he was every kid's dream and got to do it when he was 40. Now he's doing the press circuit, etc. Etc. But at the end of the day, this is big business that's on the line, and that could have went horribly. And it happens in fewer than. But it 1% only needs to happen once, though. But so, what do you do? Do you have a traveling third yes. goaltender? That you, would be such overkill. No, 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 that no, no. Would be no, no. Such Hear me overkill. out. Hear me out. You do it like you have the spare referee in an NHL arena. You have that goalie in place in a spare in in the every NHL arena, so that you don't have to run into the guy who once played junior B eleven years years ago or whatever it is i mean junior b he's 42 years old 20 years ago i mean i i like the way the canucks do it they generally just lean on a uh, local uh use sure i get that the third stringer for ubc is here as the e-bug here yeah but why not you've got enough talent in, in terms of goaltenders around canada around north america that you could set it up like a referee system where you have someone that goes sits in the arena is capable also doesn't have a bias on either side I mean, sure. I, I suppose. I just, like, again, I can't get past the fact that this, this has happened once in the last how long. Like, I think Chicago had an E. But, uh, yes, they did. And it was the. For, um, like, one period. Yeah. Foster, so we've, Foster I believe, yeah, his last Scott name Foster. Was, yeah. So we've had three. No, four periods of NHL hockey but with JD, an emergency backup. But, J.D., if, if that went the other way and those two points were, were what separated Toronto and Florida... Then I would say that Dale Talon shouldn't throw away his owner's money on the worst goaltending contract <laughs> in sports because the Panthers might be leading their division if they didn't waste $10 million on a goaltender. Nice of you to join us. Oh, my goodness, Croker. Holy crap. We got a delay on I over there? I had a there? good excuse this time. What was that? I'm finding JD's playlist. Ah, uh, gotcha. Going through the records. Gotcha. Okay. All right, all right. JD's got you doing double duty. We're up against it here, though, so uh, let's squeeze one more in. Um, lightning round. Okay, let's go lightning round. Uh, Bobby Ryan's night against uh, against the Canucks. What do you got to say about that? Cool story, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Good for him. Good, uh, just good stuff. You know, you score yeah. a hat trick. You go through some uh, personal demons. Okay, 2010 gold medal 10 years later. Where do you rank it amongst the uh, best international hockey games? 
Ooh, it's got to be like top five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easy. I'd say top five, top three. Yeah. In that neighborhood, for sure. Now you are you you weren't old enough to under to to have watched eighty eighty seven Canada Cup. Nope. Yeah. So I was minus four years old. Yeah. There you go. So I talked about it with uh, Mayanek. I basically said, you know, the Boomers have seventy two, the Gen X, Gen Y, they got eighty seven, mm-hmm. the Millennials have twenty ten. Okay, lastly, Seattle head coaching uh, search. Uh, apparently, they are going to uh, hire a coach, and they're going to do it in the next few months. Uh, your thoughts on this, and perhaps who you think could be a candidate? Well, uh, I, I heard that Gerard Gallant um, you know, doesn't, awesome. doesn't have anything on his plate. But that would be awesome, though, right? If he yeah. you know, did, did Vegas and then did Seattle afterwards? Yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? He's a good coach. Yeah. I like Gerard Gallant on balance, even if he has like a bizarre antipathy for analytics. Like, whatever. He does a good job. Where are you on Mike Babcock? Do you think he'll resurface? I think that Mike Babcock might be one of the more overrated coaches in hockey history. Yeah, you know what? I had people he, he telling me won that a playoff for years. series yep. since Nick Lidstrom left his lineup. He has not won a playoff series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, come on. That's but somebody's got a bite, no? Oh, yeah, somebody will, for sure. But I've heard that the issue is there's uncertainty as to whether he wants to coach again. Really? That's that's what I heard. I well, think he's getting, Pierre, getting PSN's paid. Pierre Lebrun was saying that, I think. Getting paid handsomely to not uh, coach right now. All right, that's the Drop the Puck segment. On the other side, we're going to talk to Kristen Shilton in Toronto. I get the Maple Leaf side of the story. You're listening to Rinkwide. It's a show that always scores right here on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's Jamie Burke and Andrew Welcome back to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. We're here with you guys until 3 o'clock, sort of. Then we're going to give way to the pregame show. J.D. and myself will get you set uh, for the Canucks and the Maple Leafs. Let's get the Leafs side of the story here. We'll bring in Kristen Shilton from TSN uh, in Toronto. But before we get to uh, Kristen, let's, uh, let's let you know about the poll question that I'm actually posting up as I speak. Uh, we're asking you guys today. Regardless of their contracts, which young star would you rather have, Elias Pettersson or Austin Matthews? I get the feeling I know where this poll question is going to go in this market. Austin Matthews. But maybe we'll ha- let's ask Kristen Shilton then. Have uh, Kristen get her opinion on this. Uh, Kristen, thanks for uh, joining us today. Of course, uh, you get to see Austin Matthews up close all the time. We get to see Elias Pettersson all the time here in Vancouver. Uh, who would you start your franchise with? Who, which young star would you take? Well, you know, I, I do see an awful lot of Austin Matthews, and he looks pretty good to me. So I think, no disrespect to Mr. Pedersen, but I think I would uh, I would tap 34 as my cornerstone if I'm picking between the two. Yeah, Elias <laughs> Pedersen, I mean, listen, he's he's definitely going to get there. But when you see uh, Austin Matthews flirting with 50 goals and, you know, early on in his career, that's a hard one to argue against. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you, as far as the Leafs are concerned, this is a team at the start of the year. I don't want to say that, that, that people were calling them cup contenders because that might have been a little bit of a stretch, but definitely people were expecting the Leafs to be the, one of those teams in the mix. Now they're just fighting for just a playoff spot. Uh, what exactly is this Maple Leafs team? Are are they you know the team that we see get shelled some nights and run around in their own zone, or is there or is there more to this team? Can they actually be good defensively? Because God knows they're good offensively. 
Yeah, you know, they, they can be good defensively. There definitely is that ability within the team, and I think you do see that um, certainly maybe not for the entire 60 minutes, but you do see that throughout uh, some of these more recent wins, especially the third period in Tampa, the third period uh, in Florida, just being two more recent examples. Um, but really, in terms of what the Leafs are, I'm not even sure if they really know. I don't know if they have the luxury of, of establishing identity at this point because they've had the injuries that they do. They're missing Morgan Riley, who is you know, just one of their absolute cornerstones. He He's a leader on and off the ice. He's out. Now Jake Muzzin's out. They've been dealing with sort of a rotating crop of these really key injuries to various guys. And as you say, it's like they're fighting for their lives basically every night because this season, I don't think anything about it has really gone to plan. They started off slowly. They they had the coaching change. They played great. They played awful. And now they're really becoming quite scrappy. When you have Casper Kapanen, who you thought was going to be, you know, one of their leading goal scorers, and he's now the guy who's dropping the gloves every other game, you can just tell that things have definitely evolved in a different way for the Leafs. But I actually think that this adversity, if they do get into the playoffs, is going to make them a mentally tougher team than ones in years past that have exited in the first round because nothing has come easily to this group and that's going to be I think an important factor for them in the postseason. What about the Mike Babcock uh, a coaching change? Do you do you feel that that was something that they should have done earlier in the season to kind of get themselves in the step that they need to be at? Do you think they kind of hindered and maybe is one of the reasons they're at where they're at right now? I mean I know injuries have played a big part of it as well but do you think maybe the coaching change maybe should have came a little bit earlier? I mean, I don't really think it would have made much of a difference. I honestly think that if if there was any idea in Kyle Dubas's head that he wanted to move on from Babcock as the coach, he probably should have done that at the end of last season and had um, you know had Sheldon Keith come in and start the year with the team. That probably would have given them the absolute best chance to succeed. But you know, if you take Dubas at face value and, and he said that he really wanted it to work with Babcock, he still believed in him going into this year. Then, you know, I think they made the change when they had to. And when you think about it, I mean, I think at one point the Leafs were even in second place in the Atlantic under Keith. They went on a great run there um, through November and December. They won like six in a row. They hadn't lost in regulation for like most of the month of December. They really were playing very well. And then the wheels came off before the All-Star break. And then it just kind of got worse into February. So, I mean, in terms of the, the coach, it, they've had a lot of the same problems throughout this season and it's really just that they went through that great stretch with Keith to start off that that's kind of why the numbers look so good since he took over is because you have these like four or five weeks where everything was going great and it looked like they had really made uh, you know a terrific decision in changing uh, the coach but then things have not really gone uh, as smoothly uh, over the last four weeks but at the same like it's just like I said the adversity has been there throughout and I think that the only way to have avoided that would have been to have made the coaching change at the end of last year with a game seven exit again in the first round but ultimately that was on Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas not to do that and if there is someone that you could say hey you should have done this sooner they're the only ones I think you can say that too for the team the teams had the same problems throughout, so they're still trying to overcome what they were trying to overcome in October. Yeah. We're talking to Kristen Shilton from TSN. She covers the Maple Leafs for the network.
Kristen, I was looking at some of the underlying numbers here, and it looks like the Maple Leafs have actually done a worse job, if only slightly, they're still above 50% of controlling play under Sheldon Keefe than they did with Mike Babcock at the helm. And yet when I speak to people from Toronto, people out of Toronto, they have nothing but glowing reviews for Sheldon Keefe. Now, I imagine some of those numbers can be chalked up to injuries or circumstances beyond the coach's control. But what have you observed using your eye test that has been different about this team that has allowed them to find bursts of success under Keefe that they couldn't get under Babcock earlier this season? Well, to me, it's a it's more a sense of being comfortable and being confident in your game. And that's what the top players, I think you can see the difference. There was a lot of tension when the season started with Babcock. There was a lot of, it felt like, guys were holding in something like they they just weren't totally comfortable in their role they weren't totally comfortable with the direction uh, of the coaching and with the structure and the way that they were supposed to be playing um and when Keith came in it just seemed like this weight came off and uh, the guys were just able to play more freely to move the puck more freely and but that's been a double-edged sword for the Leafs to have that um that freedom and then also to play well defensively they've had some trouble balancing the two and I think that's where you see a lot of the issues for Toronto is that they want to play on offense they know they're a good offensive team but whether it's Babcock saying it or Keith saying it you have to play well defensively first in order to get the puck and then to stay on offense so those problems that have been there all season have been there regardless of the coach but the difference to me with Keith is that everyone just seems more relaxed everybody's more comfortable everybody is just I think more inclined to communicate and to speak up and to feel important in their role and and Keith is is more willing I think to take some of the responsibility when things don't go wrong like he'll say you know I didn't do a good job of of figuring out this third line uh, their responsibilities and and making those guys feel important and that's affected us or he'll say I should have done a better job of that and I think players appreciate that and I think it's allowed Keith to relate to this group a bit better he is younger as well he doesn't have the kind of set in his ways uh, um, attitude that Babcock did and I think the younger guys have really responded to that as well so there's there's not a lot that you can say about Keith. Like, come in when he did to this market in this situation. There's not a lot you could point at and say, wow, he hasn't handled that well. He really has handled everything, I think, about as well as you could hope. But the biggest thing to me is just that the team is playing more as a team now. Not every night, certainly. They've had their struggles in that respect as well. But just these last two wins, for me, have really crystallized the I think the um, the best parts of Keith in that he just says, you know, when the going gets tough, he leans on his big guys and he lets them sort of take over and lead the way. And that's where when he puts his faith in those guys, they deliver for him. And that is the difference between Keith and Babcock. Obviously, Toronto is a bit of a, a pressure cooker of a market, right? And everybody in the sport knows that much. Is there a sense of calm or panic around this team at the thought that in years previous, like I'm looking at Frederick Anderson's save percentage numbers, 918 is first year in Toronto, 918 is second year, 917 last year, and now he's at a 906. Is there a sense that if they can just manage to hold the fort until Frederick Anderson returns to form, that things can kind of work work itself out, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. It does. And the goaltending spotlight in Toronto, you just, it's been such a, such a season in that respect. You've had the ups and downs of the backup position. You've had Michael Hutchinson on a string. You've had him back and forth. Finally, you trade him. You've had Anderson as, uh, the highs and lows. He was so good. Vesna conversation in November, December, and then things have slowed for him and cooled, obviously, since uh, even before he was injured. Um, going into the All-Star break, he wasn't at his best, and then he's struggled again since coming back from his injury. But there is, I think, that sense with the whole team of, holding the fort just get through until anderson finds his game again until morgan riley is back at the end of march until cody cc is back until muzzin is back if you can just get by then all that matters is the win it doesn't have to be pretty anderson's save percentage doesn't have to be what it was he just has to make one more save than the other goaltender and that is kind of where i think the bar is right now it's we're past the point of other than matthews being in the rocket richard race i think you're past that point of, of thinking in terms of of comparing this team to where they were last year or a year ago, comparing players to what you thought maybe they could accomplish going into the year because they've just faced so much adversity. And, and I certainly don't excuse. Some of it has been very brought upon themselves with just poor play and poor work ethic and execution. But now that they've lost Muzzin, it, it felt to me like there's a renewed um, focus and a renewed determination to still get through this and you can feel it through the goaltending and out and while Anderson definitely let in a couple soft ones over these last two games he also did hold it down in the third period to get the Leafs the victories and that's where I think your faith in Anderson lies is that as long as you can get it done it doesn't really matter what the numbers are it doesn't really matter how bad it looks on paper it just you just have to get through it because this group they have shown some resiliency at times they have shown the opposite of resiliency at times Anderson is no different but I, you just they've gone through seasons in the last couple of years where they've had no injury like they have been so healthy their defensive core has been better than it was this year, certainly. Um, I, I don't think anything has gone really well for that group. Uh, and I think that's affected Anderson as well. But the sense with Anderson is that if you can just trust him to close the door on the third when you need the big saves, then everything will be just fine until they can get the band back together, so to speak, in late March. Uh, Kristen, just got about a minute left here, though. Any buzz around the Canucks coming into Toronto? Because when the Leafs come into this city, it's it's people love the game. Everybody comes out for it. Big buzz around the city. Are you getting the same sort of thing when the Canucks come to your town? Oh, there's a ton of Canucks jerseys around the rink. I went out to get a coffee about an hour ago, and I just saw just a sea of Canucks fans, which you don't see as much as you would think in Toronto of opposing uh, teams' jerseys. But you can tell there's a, always a little extra buzz when you get to some of those West Coast teams in for their one visit of the year. So I think it's safe to say that there's uh, going to be a number of Canucks fans very excited to see this one go down tonight. All right, great stuff, uh, Kristen. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to this one uh, out here, too of the younger, uh, brighter teams in the NHL going head-to-head. So we thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, guys. There you have it. Kristen Chilton from the uh, from TSN in Toronto. She covers the Maple Leafs uh, on the TV side, also uh, with our sister station at TSN 1050. So we thank for Kristen uh, for joining us. On the other side, we got JD's Manifesto. No, we're, we're, we're not doing that on the other side? Okay. No, we're doing Cam we're doing, Davey. I thought we were doing both. Former OG. I, I thought we were doing both. Sorry, my bad. 
Like you down, should see the yeah. face he gave me, Croker, when he saw that. Wow. Yeah, one of disgust. Uh, on the other side, we got Cam Davies. He's going to let us know uh, about a charity that uh, he's organizing uh, that'll be good for, well, everyone. So keep it locked right here. <laughs> it's Frank Wide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. Tonight on TSN 1040, Bell Whitecaps FC Soccer returns. Whitecaps, Sporting Kansas City. Two service into the area. Tonight at 6.30 on TSN 1040. This is Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Yeah, welcome back to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Watton alongside J.D. Burke. We're with you here till 3 o'clock. And then we stay here, actually. We'll do an extra hour. We'll give you the Canucks and Leafs pregame show. The Alpine Credits. Uh, pre-game show. I know you people uh, can't get enough of me. uh, What? Well, it's a response to the outcry of demand. You have an outcry of demand? Hell yeah, dude. Okay. Ian McClatchy just walking by the studio. Speaking of. He gave a raised eyebrow to that. I've got a raised eyebrow to this. Cam Davies joins us now. And he's got a charity that uh, he's putting together for BC Children's Hospital. So, uh, Cam, fill us in on, on on what you got going forward here. Uh, sure. So if uh, anybody out there has ever bought one of the Flow shirts or DKP shirts, uh, that's me. That's me and uh, wonderful artist, Grani Downey, who I'm sure lots of people on Twitter know. For the last few years, uh, we've been selling those shirts and raising money for various charities. First year was for Make-A-Wish BC. Last year was for Canadian Cancer Society. And this year we're doing it for BC Children's Hospital. And uh, so we've been selling the shirts all year, but we wanted to have a, a, a one-day kind of event uh, where people, you know, put some money out, put some money up on the board, uh, make a pledge. Uh, you know, it could be anything toward, you know, like, uh, you know, Elias Pedersen scoring a goal or a Canucks win, whatever, whatever kind of pledge bet or prop bet you want to make. And they send the money in and we're going to donate every last penny to BC Children's Hospital. And the shirts that you make, uh, where can people purchase those? So those, the link for that is on my Twitter account, Tinfoil2. You can go there. Uh, uh, shared it lots of times. They're available on Teespring. Uh, so if you go onto teespring.com and search for Canucks Money on the Board, or if you search for DKP or search for the Flow, you'll find it. Uh, you'll find the the online store there. And uh, so if you buy a shirt at the end of the year, all the money is going to go towards BC Children's Hospital. Uh, but today uh, is the big day. So if you want to send in a pledge, uh, you know, if, like I said, if Elias Pedersen scores a goal, or if we Get a connect, get a win. We get a Demco shutout, even better, and put some money down, and all of that money is going to be collected all together and given to Children's Hospital. And of course, what you're doing is so fantastic. It really shows that the sports community can come together for a good cause, as opposed to some of the other ones that we often see, particularly in my mentions. What was the inspiration for going in on this project? Because, I mean, not a lot of people would kind of have the initiative or the impetus to go in on something like this to the extent that you have, and this is your third year of doing it. What was the inspiration? What drove you to do this? So when my uh, eldest daughter, who is now 18, when she was just before her fifth birthday, she was diagnosed with a form of cancer in her kidney called Wilms tumor. Uh, so she spent, you know, we spent a significant amount of time at the hospital working with the, you know, with the, in the oncology department. And um, 
you know, through that time, it's obviously very difficult as a as a parent to deal with uh, with something that uh, heavy. Uh, and that's just one department. Of course, they're doing they're doing work across any any type of illness and injury uh, you can imagine. Uh, but for us, it was it was you know it was it was a difficult time. But at the same time, we were working with miracle workers at Children's Hospital who kept you know not only kept our daughter safe and she recovered and she's doing fantastically now, but it, they also do a lot of work for the families themselves and keeping the family sane and keeping them level headed and letting them know what's going on and. And in fact, it was one of the nurses uh, in oncology at Beast Children's Hospital that let us know about Make-A-Wish. So we were able to, uh, you know, go on a trip with our daughter through that. But that was all thanks to, to Children's Hospital and uh, the amount of work that they do. The and it's not just it's not just the uh, sort of the immediate need of things like uh, the oncology or if your kid, God forbid, you know, breaks a leg or an arm or something like that. They also are doing things for mental wellness for children. Uh, you know, across the board, they're just. Uh, helping all of the kids of, of BC in, in so many, so many incredible ways. And that's, I always feel compelled when knowing that my daughter is, is doing great now to, to want to give back. And uh, no more, no one is more deserving than that than BC Children's Hospital, that's for sure. And what sort of response have you gotten from the, the Canucks community? Because I know that we got to see uh, the flow shirt on, on a, a, a national broadcast. What about this year? What sort of response are you getting from Canucks fans? Uh, so, so shirt, shirt sales have slowed down a bit and that, you know, we've been selling, this is the third season that we've been selling them. So I understand that people have bought the shirts, so that's fine. Uh, but today, as far as the pledging uh, is concerned, we've gotten just over 40 pledges so far. And it's, it, you know, my estimates are kind of looking at around 1500 bucks, uh, which is great. We've got about $1,600 in shirt sales already this year. So we're looking to donate uh, over $3,000 to children's hospital as it stands right now. But, uh, or I, I want more. I'm a bit greedy when it comes to this stuff, so I'm hoping that we get uh, we drive that number up um, way higher than that. Well, Cam, we appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you putting this together as well. We have retweeted it through the uh, at TSN 1040 account, so if anybody wants to check it out, head over at TSN 1040. Also, uh, you can get Cam at Tinfoil Took, which might be one of the better uh, Twitter handles out there. But uh, Cam, appreciate you joining us and letting us in on this great cause. No, thanks for the time, guys. Appreciate it. Aaron Gobra, Cam. Aaron Gobra. Cam Davies, uh, former managing editor? Of Canucks of Army. Canucks that Army. is correct. He is a Canucks Army OG. And he's doing some great he, stuff He was there Thomas well. Drance's boss at one Whoa. point. Whoa! Yeah. Thomas yeah. Drance is the boss nowadays. Speaking of Thomas Drance, he just the walked of what? to the studio. He's got a flat beak hat on. Uh-oh, Matt oh, Sakaris is not going to like that. On the other side, it's the rink-wide roundtable for the end of the month. Uh, JD and myself will be joined by Thomas Drance from The Athletic and Ian McClutchy, who's making his debut on rink-wide. It's the show that always scores, and we're going top cheese for the next hour right here on TSN 1040. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.ca slash save. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. 
80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. It's the smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.ca slash save. That's ziprecruiter.ca slash S-A-V-E. ziprecruiter.ca slash save. to Rinkwide. It's a show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. We've got our roundtable assembled. Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver has joined us. Ian McCletchy as well. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. If you missed any of the first hour, guys, our producer Jason Croker will have the podcast up at the end of the show. Uh, Kristen Shilton from Toronto joined us, gave us the uh, Leaf side of the story. And we also spoke to Cam Davies, who's got a uh, a good charity cause that he's um, informed us about. You can check it out over on our Twitter page at TSN uh, 1040 if you want to find out some information on that. Canucks and Maple Leafs tonight, 4 o'clock puck drop. We will have the Alpine credits pregame. It'll be a short one coming up at 3 o'clock. Myself and JD will shepherd you through that. But let's bring in our guests now, Thomas Drance from The Athletic, Ian McCletchy. Uh, Drancer, of course, a regular here on Rinkwide. And uh, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we got Ian McCletchy as well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How do you think That's I found true. my co-host? <laughs> uh, you know, well, we while got we're on Ian the topic, McCletchy. Like, I think it's a little bit off optimistic to say that Jason's going to have the podcast up today. Like, the way this is going, he's going to upload it, like, a month from now <laughs> in, like, hey. six different oh, pieces. There you go. I love yeah. that. There you go, Croker. Don't take any gruff from him. <laughs> Croker does a fine job back there, and he he's here early in the morning, JD, as well. And he likes his hyphens. I will not <laughs> sit here and take <laughs> right. this. Right? <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, guys, we do have a uh, poll question that we put up uh, just oof, about a half an hour ago now. Start getting a response. Uh, regardless of their contracts, which young star would you rather have? Elias Patterson or Austin Matthews? 640 votes in. And I'm pretty sure you guys can guess yeah, where the, the suspense vote is, is going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did Austin Matthews win? We, we tried to come up with the most compelling question ever. And I think that... Uh, I think we came pretty close, guys. 70% of you guys voting uh, Elias Pettersson right now. Right in answer from Thomas Drance. I think it's says Tim, Tim Schaller. Tim Schaller, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tearing up the AHL. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, who would have guessed that he was not the defensive forward that Valerie Nichushkin is? <laughs> oh, really, really shocking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey. You guys you guys want to do this yourselves? We'll just uh, take off here. Well, it's not like you two get along especially <laughs> no, well either. Oh, I we love Clutch. Wadden was probably yeah. vigorously refreshed. The poll just so we could vote Austin Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, one more. I only was allowed one vote. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay, well, let's start there, guys. Uh, Leafs and Canucks tonight, and, and two teams that are you know kind of similar in terms of they play sort of uh, you know, hair on fire hockey at times. Thomas, I'll start with you. When you look at this Leafs team and you compare them to the Leafs team, where do the uh, where do the Canucks have them, and where do the Leafs have them? Well, I think the Leafs are a better, deeper team, but with the blue line that they'll be icing tonight, that actually might be an advantage for the Canucks, which I don't think we'd have said in a ton of games this year anyway. Yeah. But look, I think structurally, in terms of the depth that they have, uh, you know, basically everywhere but goal this season, I'd probably take Toronto's roster. And, you know, I think that speaks to 
a couple things from a Vancouver perspective, but especially the fact that, you know, this Maple Leafs team has this these oodles of depth, right? They've they did this sort of rebuild. They accumulated elite talent. Matthews is you know genuinely has a shot to be in the mix for the scoring lead, yeah. right? Like they've mined as much elite talent from the draft as you can, more than Vancouver has with Pedersen and Hughes, and still. You know, they haven't gotten over the hump of winning a playoff round, right? They still have work to do this season to even punch their ticket, which just speaks to, I think, the volume of skill that you need uh, to actually credibly win in this league. Yeah. The volume of skill, but I think also the volume of skill in the right positions as well, right? Because where Toronto's probably lacking, as you mentioned, Drancer, mm-hmm. is on the back end. Now, partly that's because Morgan Riley's injured and they have some injuries they're dealing with. Your top defenseman's out. That's going to. That'll Jake crush any you. team, right? Yeah. But it does speak to having top-tier talent, and a lot of it, in all the right positions. Tro- and look, we'll get to the Canucks and the GIF. Toronto definitely has it up front. They're paying mm-hmm. a lot of money for it. Do they have it on the back end? I don't know. They certainly do in goal. Like, Frederick Anderson is terrific for them in goal. But that key six-pack on the back end, yeah. especially with some injuries, pushes them down. But I, if I look at what the, the job they've done, I can't, you can't look, not look at it and go, they've done a pretty good job, but there's still holes. There's still question marks for that team, and they've done a really good job. Yeah. Uh, JD, when you talk about depth, though, with the Maple Leafs and the Canucks in mind, you look at the Leafs, yeah, they've got a lot of depth, but a lot of it's the same type of player. And I would almost argue you that maybe the Canucks have a little more depth in terms of spreading it out and having different types of players. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me well, why. Well, I mean, like, they have the same type of player, like, actually valuable hockey players in their bottom six. Yeah. Right? And and you can talk about the aesthetics of it. They produce. They control the shot differential at five on five. I'm not especially concerned with how they do it as long as they're producing solid results. And I think what's really happening right now is that we're seeing the volatility of, of the Eastern Conference because you've got a team in the Maple Leafs who it looks like they give, they've got everything going for them, right? Well, Frederick Anderson, he's usually been a top-five goalie since yeah. he joined the Maple Leafs. And I think that that really has been the difference for this team this year. You look at their 5-on-5 five five shot share, they've been in the top five of the league, whether it's Babcock or Sheldon Keefe. And I think the difference is they're playing a run-and-gun style that's more reflective of the talent they have at forward, but they don't necessarily have the backing, the backbone that they would usually have when there's pushback. And I think that's why we're seeing a team like the Maple Leafs struggle. And actually, they're kind of struggling against Tom's old boss because of the very same reason right goaltending it can sink a team it's it's nothing if you what was the saying again it's it's everything if you don't have it it's 50 percent if you do yeah and i think that's kind of been the case with the maple leafs this year when you look at the uh, opponents that the leafs have to face sort of on a night-to-night basis being that they're in the atlantic and you look at the the pacific as well and there's only a couple of points that separate the two teams but do you think maybe the level of play that the leafs have to go face night in and night out is really what separates these two teams no i, I think it's also just results like i think when you look at Vancouver and the quality of goaltending that the Canucks have received this season, and then you compare it with what has backstopped Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, you flip those, right? And the difference might be 25, 30 points, right? Like that's sort of, in terms of the actual difference in team quality, I think it's much more significant than it looks like based on the points, just because for the Canucks anyway, a team that's tended to bleed quality chances against, as we saw again this week against teams like Ottawa and Montreal, right? Teams that aren't necessarily earning their keep offensively, you know, the Canucks have had this fail-safe. Markstrom's been unbelievable for them all year. The Leafs have had quite the opposite. 
On the on the blue line, though, for the Leafs, I mean, they are battered right now. And they got two youngsters in Lilligren and Sandine playing there as well. This is an opportunity, uh, Clutch, for the Canucks to really uh, take advantage of this tonight. Take advantage of an AHL blue line with Tyson Berry there. Uh, being they're really their own NHL. He's got I, over 500 NHL games. The rest of them don't even have I'm that not, many combined. I'm not sure that the Maple Leafs don't look at the Canucks the way they played their last game and think they're going up against sure. the AHL blue line, the way the Canucks were bleeding chances as well. Like, yep. like I would I would love, I agree with you, like, I would love for the Canucks to take this, like, take the game to Toronto and look at that blue line and go at them and whatever the case might be. But after what we've seen the past few days for the Canucks with Thatcher Demko and there, the chances they gave up, particularly in the last game, I start to look at it and I go, I'm a lot less concerned about what the Canucks do to Toronto tonight. I'm more concerned how the Canucks defend mm. with what the Leafs can bring them. Because that, to me, with Thatcher Demko and goal becomes the story here. I would love to think that Elias Pettersson and Toffoli and JT Miller, who's had just a ridiculous season, can cause some issues with that young Leafs blue line. I would love to think that, absolutely. And I hope it does, to be perfectly honest with you. But man, I tell you what, like I know it's two days ago and I know I sound quite negative about this, but I looked at what happened with that last game the Canucks played and I just kind of go, oh boy. Like I'm a lot more concerned with what I'm seeing from the Canucks on the blue line than what other teams are going to be throwing at them because that right now with 20 games to go with Jacob Markstrom three weeks or whatever he is away, that's more the Achilles heel for a big term issue than a one-off with the Leafs. Especially when you consider how well that young Leafs Blue line defended against the Panthers in their last absolutely, game. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That was also a Thursday night game, but the Panthers can score off the rush. I mean, yeah, say what yeah. you will about anything else about that team. That team generates chances, and they built an early three-one lead. But you know, Frederick Anderson needed to do better with the kickout uh, on the Hoffman goal, and the third goal was literally from a beer league angle yeah. right? you, you yeah. that yeah. shots a goal one of every 300 times it's taken at the nhl level so you know from my perspective though i just saw that leafs team really shut down a properly elite offense very recently yeah. so i i wouldn't be sort of sizing them up and and thinking you know that's an ahl defense i think guys like sandine have proven that they can hack it and even Liljegren, i i've thought that he was nhl ready going back to last year because i had to review the the leafs prospect pool on rinkside Liljegren is nhl ready and i think on 20 nhl teams he's playing regular minutes well he's playing I, regular minutes right now whether he likes it or well, not i mean outside <laughs> kind of the context the fire, of, yeah. of injuries yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah. But he's not sheltered at all and i think that's the problem right now is between him and sandine yeah i was going to yeah. ask you yeah jay was going to call you transfer there i was going to ask you jd like what is your viewpoint of the guys that they've brought up because we get the impression that sandine and Liljegren and these guys are good prospects but of course mm. you get that for every Toronto guy. Like, oh, they're all going to be awesome. You've seen them. Like, are these guys legitimately decent young prospects who are now getting their feet wet? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is the way that it's kind of shaken out because you look at Timothy Liljegren in his draft year. This was somebody who was considered uh, the heir apparent to Eric Carlson's throne, right? As the next leading offensive defenseman in the NHL. Well, he's actually had to really kind of change the way that he approaches hockey, and he's become more of a defensive stalwart for the Toronto Marlies. He's kind of stopped roving around, looking for the breakout pass. He's playing a lot more like a traditional two-way defenseman. Rasmus Sandin, on the other hand, is a little bit more on the volatile side. So those two, I think, can hold down an NHL role, but I think you need to kind of 
carefully watch what sort of minutes you give them and who they're playing against. I think that's a built-in third pair that they can lean on, the sort of depth that most organizations would be happy to have in the wings, but it's not the two players that you want to be no. putting up against no. Elias Pedersen and JT Miller and Tyler Toffoli, for example. So, guys, what's the game plan for the Canucks? How should they attack the Leafs tonight? Shut it down and hope that the two or three bounces in the game go your way. So real defensive-minded game. You game do win. not want to be in a trap yeah. meet. Yeah. I mean, we, we <laughs> saw, you mentioned Florida, and you mentioned how they shut down Florida's forwards. Well, the Leafs also scored a bunch of goals in that yeah. game as well. Like, as much as you want to be like this team is depleted on the back end, and they that's going to be an Achilles heel, they can still score with the best of them. We so got, I do uh, think to a certain degree, as like J.D. says, you got to clamp it down yeah. and hope you take advantage. Counter-attack, counter-punch as best you can. Minor Matt in the inbox saying, come on, Juan, the Canucks couldn't even take care of of a replica AHL team. And, you know, that's a fair point. But is that, you know, is that really the Canucks team we know that we saw on Thursday? I would argue that. Based on their underlying totals, I don't think it's far off from really? the Canucks. At the very least, I, I don't think it's far off defensively. I, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think defensively. Typically, you'd expect them to maybe challenge Hogberg a little bit better. I mean, I do think this Canucks team can score. And Hogberg was generate. He was good in the game. We, we, we got to give him that. And he was fortunate, right? Yeah. There were a lot of those sort of 50-50 goal mouth pucks that just sort of didn't land on Canucks players' sticks, yeah. even though the likes of Toffoli and Miller sort of lived in the crease all night, but in terms of what they surrendered, I do think that's who the Canucks are, and that's sort of got to be, you know, I don't think the absence of Markstrom is going to matter enough to lead to like a 2013 Leafs-style collapse, right, right. at this point. I, uh, I, I mean, agree. Markstrom is a super valuable piece, but with what's left to run, Demko, I suspect, is going to be competent enough that the Canucks are going to manage to land this ship somewhere in the playoff picture. But, if there's one sort of concern, one nagging reason that the bottom could really fall out, it's what the Canucks surrender against. They've done it all year. They did it against Ottawa on Thursday. And from that vantage point, I do think the way that they played is reflective of their actual team quality. The well, difference well, is you don't get the bailout of Markstrom, who, yeah. as Kevin Woodley has said many times, what is it? Eight, eight, eight game wins. change? Like eight yeah. wins? Does Thatcher Demko do that? Can Thatcher Demko change that? And, and Halford said on Friday, I thought it was a good point. He's like, it's a one-off right now. Like it's a one-off that Demko didn't play great, but if it happens again, that's when you start going, oh boy. But don't you guys story? don't you guys think this is good for the Canucks right now, especially because they got a lot of things to figure out in terms of how they're going to you know work their cap moving forward, who's going to yep. be there? You know, there's it's pretty easy to say, well, you got to sign Jacob Markstrom. He's the MVP, and we've had insiders come on here and say Pierre LeBron said it. How can they not sign him? But really, if you get a good sample size here from Thatcher Demko, it might make you think because really. Is the window open right now for the Canucks? That's questionable. The way that they've operated is reflective of a they're team acting that like believes that. they're and, in their and, window. And, and honestly, there's something to it when you have your top players on ELCs. Right, but for every top player on an ELC, there's a Brandon Sutter or a Louis Erickson. Sure, yeah. Right? Yep. And that's just the reality here. But I wanted to get back to something that you were pointing out earlier. We were talking about how we don't want it to be a track meet for the Canucks against the Maple Leafs. And as you usually do, you disagreed with that take. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, well, uh, well, I want to hear you out. Yeah, I no, hear you out. It's really simple. The Canucks, at the end of the day, I think, 
have a better chance of scoring with the Leafs than they do of shutting them down. And so I think if the Canucks go into Toronto and they're like, hey, we're going to play this shut down, grind it out. Let's look for the 2-1 game. be on their heels. That's that's not their game. So, uh, you know, I just think you got to play to your strengths. Vancouver's is let's sort of stretch this game out vertically Mm -hmm. a bit. Let's trust that we can score some goals against them. And, you know, we'll we'll sort of do our best to take care of it if we get a lead. But, I mean, that's my view of it anyway. Canucks need to look to play fast and, and play pretty similarly, I think, to how they did against the Leafs when they hosted them here in December. Mm-hmm. I thought that was one of their better games of the season. Uh, you know, breakaway after breakaway. Freddie was Frederick great Anderson. in that game. He that saved, was Freddie's best game yeah. of the year. Freddie yeah. stopped five breakaways. I think yeah, Brock Besser wild. had three of them. Like, it was ridiculous and, that the Canucks didn't cash in on a few of those. The thing is, go they, ahead. they have like two and a half mobile defensemen, though. And that's the thing that terrifies me about the Canucks getting into a track meet. Is who's going to defend on the run? But have you seen the Leafs play in their own zone? It is a nightmare. Did you watch the Canucks on Thursday? That is true. <laughs> but trust me, it's night in and night out with the Maple yeah, Leafs in their own enough. zone. And it's even worse now when you've got your two best defensemen in Riley. I mean, even like Leaf fans would like to have Cody Cece back right now. And that's that's saying a lot. Who are the two, who are the two and a half mobile? Quinn Hughes. Quinn Tyler Hughes. Myers, Tyler, Tyler Myers. Myers Troy and Stetcher. Troy Stetcher. Stetcher. So yeah. who's the half there? That's Stetcher. Stetcher. He's not, I was, I was he's not like Myers, a burner actually. by any, by yeah, any that's means, fair. right? That's fair. So... And it's funny, too, Drance, that you mentioned that the Canucks should take that approach because your old employer, the Florida Panthers, when they play the Leafs, that's kind of what they do because they're not really all that great defensively either, and goalie Bob's been horrible. So they try to skate with the Leafs and, and, and generate chances, and, you know, it's worked out at times. It worked out the other night for well, a little bit, and then the, the Leafs are able to come back. The Leafs crushed them in the least likely spot that you'd expect the Panthers to get crushed, which was at the very top end of their lineup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That Barkov line just didn't generate enough, spent way too much time in their own zone. I think at the end of the game, they generated two five-on-five shots on ice with Barkov on the ice. That Seriously? almost never happens. I, I can never think of a game that I watched Barkov play where the team sort of controlled that little of the flow of the game, which I think does speak to the test that Pedersen and co. will face tonight. Like, yes, this Leafs team and their composition and their structure and the way that they're built is discussed ad nauseum. But in terms of the elite talent, in terms of the blue chip talent that they're able to throw out, mm-hmm. it's pretty close to as good as it gets outside of maybe Boston and the Tampa Bay team where losing Steven Stamkos means, oh no, we bump Yanni Gord up into the top <laughs> yeah. nine. When you talked before. about, J.D., you talked about the bottom six for the uh, the Canucks not being able to uh, sort of control play and that's where you're, you're worried about tonight's game. Um, when you see the way that Travis Green has done his lines, at least from Jeff Patterson's uh, report this morning, everything looks basically the same. And you got Louis Erickson still there in the top six for the Canucks. Could this be a night where, hey, listen, if you're going to go run and gun with this Leafs team, then maybe you put all the horses up there and you see Vertanen make his way into that top six again? No, because I think Travis Green is reading the situation in front of him and he cannot build a shutdown line with his bottom six. Mm-hmm. And I think he's eminently aware of that. Like, he's got Brandon Sutter on the fourth line with Jay Beagle. Who are they shutting down? They're going to face top six comp, though. I, are I, they? I, I bet you anything. Well, I mean, that's, they usually that's do. why they're putting Erickson with Horvat to have a bona fide shutdown line. Totally. But they'll they'll share... 
they, they, especially on the road where Green doesn't control his matchups, what he'll do is he'll do his best to have as much Pedersen versus Spezza as he can. And I think that's how he sort of reads his lineup and determines that my best shot is to see if I can get five five-on-five five minutes with Pedersen and Hughes versus Spezza and Lilligren right. or whomever, and, and we're, we'll need to make that count. When you guys uh, saw what uh, the pairing of Fantenberg and Myers uh, were the other night, a combined uh, dash seven between the two of them, uh, what comes to mind when you think of those two back together tonight? Well, Does, J- I mean, it's kind of surprise, J- you know. JD's already smiling at me because we have a we've already been disagreeing with this uh, about this topic okay. privately this week, which is my, my hot take is. Tyler Myers, who of course JD has a long-standing bias against, that I'm oh, pretty sure. Is, I'm pretty sure it's personal. JD holds yeah, bias. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> okay. uh, the my my take is essentially that Myers has been Vancouver's second best defenseman this season, uh, behind Hughes, and that's, it's a take that, that's such a bad take. It's a take that quite upsets JD. And yeah, well, well, what's, what's the analysis? What, what 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 makes you say it? It's, it's it can't be just sec- the... second across the board by whatever relevant underlying metric you prefer. Every guy, or I think. Seven of the eight guys he's spent at least 200 minutes with have done better by shot attempt differential with him than without him. Eight of eight in terms of expected goals. Um, he's playing on a third pair with Fantenberg when they take line rushes, but he plays the third most minutes among Canucks defenders since Edler got back into the lineup and they sort of rejigged their line. So really he's playing a pretty credible second pair role uh, in terms of his actual minutes. He's obviously specialized. He he does a lot of work with Hughes when the Canucks are chasing, but I just look at the overall reliability of his game to this point, how durable he's been, the minutes he's logged, and I think he's been the second most effective Canucks defenseman, especially when you consider that in the minutes away from Hughes, the Canucks have been dramatically outchanced and outscored with Chris Tanev on the ice. And Alex Edler is second among all NHL defensemen who've logged at least 500 minutes in terms of the penalties that he's taken. I think there's a growing body of evidence that Hughes, that Myers has been Vancouver's best RD and probably the second best among the defensemen on this team. Oh, Oh, come on now, Croker. Don't do him like that. You want a rebuttal, so go ahead. I watched Thursday night's game, <laughs> and one of the first things I Sorry, saw... Sorry, is this the game that Tyler Myers played with the flu? Oh, was, it, was he playing wow, with the flu? Flu game. Oh, okay, fair Mind enough. Mind you, I've seen Michael Jordan well, I didn't play with know the flu. That. It was a flu. It was a lot different. Though. Right, yeah. That was a hangover, though, so... <laughs> the, yeah, only, yeah. Ah, the only thing Jordan and Tyler Myers have in common, I think, is their height. Is their height. And yeah, ability exa- to dunk. I think they're exactly the yeah. same. Can Tyler Myers dunk? We yes, should. he can. He can? Okay. Yeah. I cannot believe that in your impassioned defense of Tyler Myers, who I have a personal bias against, in the interest of clarity... But you use the word reliable. Reliable was one of the words that you use. Absolutely. You watch him play defense and you think reliable. I mean, I think... Did you just start watching hockey like a month ago? I think Tyler Myers is reliable in terms of having the impact that he has, right? I mean, we all know what you're getting with Myers. You're not getting a shutdown D. You're getting a guy who's modestly better in the offensive end than he is in the defensive end and in general is sort of has a negligible five on five impact but actually has had maybe a bigger than expected impact on his teammates this season. I don't see what's unreliable about that. 
So well, should he be with? You, would you like him better uh, with Stetcher down with Vandenberg, Myers up with Edler? I, I mean, at this point, I would try something. Yeah, with with Vancouver's D just to try something. Like what was going on? Last? Like I, I know it was yeah, in the Athletics where yeah, you've got Myers like chasing guys across. Like, yeah. What is go- why? Well, look, Myers, <laughs> Myers. Wait, that, Myers chasing plays? Is that the flu? Myers though has had. Really good results with Hughes and with Edler, and really tough results with Ben and with Fantenberg, and he's not the only one among Vancouver's RD for whom that's true. We already Stetcher talked about had better results with Ben, modestly, but they were better. All right, slightly. on the other side, we'll continue the discussion of who's better. better, who, where on defense. I also, want to ask you. Uh, I want to ask you guys about uh, uh, the Canucks and Tyler Toffoli. Of course, Toffoli's kind of their their deadline pickup, their big splash. I want to ask you guys get your opinion where you see his future with the Vancouver Canucks. We'll get to that on the other side. It's Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Right here on TSN 1040. That they're ever healthy enough that they get to sample what it looks like to have a top six. That includes Pearson, Horvat, Toffoli, Besser, Air, uh, Patterson, and Miller. That's a top six that would give every team in the in the league yeah. a really difficult time. So yeah. that's sort of my caption in saying that for me anyway, Toffoli might be as high a priority yeah. as figuring out your top four defense. Yeah, and slightly below that, I'd put goaltending just because of the way that I view the game. But having been around this team and seen the impact that Markstrom has in terms of being that elite piece who's a little bit older, right? Uh, sort of the heartbeat of this team, their conscience a little bit. Mm-hmm. I do think for this team specifically, Markstrom probably belongs a little higher. It's just that at the end of the day, my, my bias on the replaceability of goaltendings and the way uh, goaltenders and the way that I analyze the market overall would, would sort of push that a little bit down. But admitting my bias is there. Where do we see Toffoli sliding in on his AAV? That's the question. For well, me. It's got to start at five. It has to start at five. Does it? He's four and a half right now. No, it's it's got to be higher than that. You, well, that's what I'm saying. It has his to, profile. Oh, you think it starts higher? Does it? Wow. You think it starts higher than that? You yeah. think it starts at six? Well, he has an identical profile to Brock Besser. Brock Besser just got five point eight as an RFA. He, but, he did, but Besser scored. If you look at it yeah. on per eighty two rates, Besser's on at per like, eighty two rates. I know Besser's at like sixty five. Plus points per season. Right. Foley's hit 58 as a career high. Yeah, on a team that doesn't score a lot. Yeah, but still. I mean, like, I, I think that the UFA factor is what puts puts him over the top. Yeah. Well, look, it definitely if he has a big run here or a big playoff series, right, then you, then you get the Brian Bickle effect, right? And, and then all bets are off for I, sure. I think that you're looking at six. Wow. I really do with Toffoli. Well, the thing is, too, about Toffoli, I mean, the high watermark in goals is 31. But as Ray Ferraro always says, you know, Ray's like, I scored 40 goals twice in my career. That doesn't mean I'm a 40-goal scorer, right? So I think the same thing could be said about Tyler Toffoli. Uh, you're probably going to get somewhere around 20 goals and be happy with it. But Brock Besser, you'd think, I mean, if you're getting, you got to get 25-plus, No. I mean, he's that kind of player, right? Yeah. So, uh, Clutch, what would you do in, in terms of the Canucks? Because if you look at the three that are kind of the uh, the priorities, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, Markstrom, Toffoli, and Tanov, one of them's going to have to go. Who would it be for you? Which one has to go? Because you're not going to be able to sign all three. I can't see this team in the situation it's in trusting what they are to Thatcher Demko. Just the reality of what they are and what, as Drancer said, yeah. what Jacob Markstrom has done this yeah. year. So Markstrom, to e- me, e- stays, but I don't know what he 
would be making. However, with the way the goalie market kind of is fluid and what we've seen happen with goalies, I think maybe they get it done. That means that either Tanev or Toffoli are gone. I, I would love a top six that includes Toffoli. Like, I salivated the idea of what Drancer was saying, Toffoli, Besser. That top six intrigues me. But I also really feel Chris Tanev, and I know that he's not the player he was. Like, I don't think you can underestimate what his impact has been playing beside Quinn Hughes. Now, as Hughes gets older, maybe you can replace a guy like Tanev with whoever else right shot. Maybe a much better Tyler Myers. I don't know. But I would think... An actual top four defenseman. Yeah, 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 totally. We're on the same page do. I do think probably Tanev is the guy that goes. Because as much as I generally think replacing with a defenseman would be that much harder. I mean, how many teams need defensemen? Every single one seems like they could use two or three. So I'm leery to give up Tanev. But I also think in this situation with the Canucks, I love the idea of a top six like that. I don't think you can get rid of Markstrom. I think Tanev's a guy that's got to go. But amidst all this, I, I don't even know if they could afford two of those three. Man, that's to good. be perfectly that's, honest with you. I, could I, be I right really as don't well. know if they can. And, and they they back themselves into a corner where, yeah. depending on what Mar- Mar- Markstrom might want, depending on if Toffoli's great and would like to sign her, depending on what he wants, they may not have a choice yeah. unless they can somehow get rid of a contract of, a, of an Erickson or whoever it might be. Well, Eric, I don't know that they can. Erickson might be actually movable after July 15th and when that final big bonus is paid off, right? Only he actually might be, yeah. might, might be able to get rid of him at that point. Is there a market for Sutter? I mean, you'd love to get that off the books, but no. is there a no. market for Beagle? No. Like, no. I mean, would you just sell Mar- no. like Sutter? Like, it, it kind of blows my mind, guys, and maybe you guys can correct me, uh, but that there was no market for San Berchi. He doesn't have that bad of a contract. He has proved that he can score goals, but do I not know something that others perhaps know? Maybe the injury is He's a credible just- middle six winger in the NHL. Like, but, so but why, why doesn't the rest because, of the NHL know that? Because he has money committed. Yeah. beyond this year yeah. right and and at the end of the day like we live in a world and NHL teams live in a world where they will learn likely what amount of what the actual cap upper limit figure they're managing for looks like 3 or 4 days after the draft right yeah. like like 48 hours before they commit 70 plus to a top free agent you learn like hey it's uh, 80, 81.5 or next year 82.5 you know we're just finishing negotiations with the PA it could be 83.5 like they don't learn that until like 4 or 5 days before they have to go out and make massive decisions yeah, right. and, and this isn't the main reason but I'm just it's a factor that shapes conservatism in terms of committing dollars beyond sort of what you're looking for so or, or what you're looking at immediately in front of you. And, and so Berchi having 3.36 counting against the cap for next season, even if it's 2.2 buried, that's just a death knell for his value. Gotcha. Um, what, what about uh, players like Jake Furtanen as well? I mean, there, there's another guy that's going to be coming up looking for, uh, at least, even if it's a small pay, payday or pay raise, they oh, and still it won't might, be. And no, it won't it be. Won't yeah, be. exactly. Sell but high. How are you going to squeeze five. in here? So th- this kind of brings me back then in terms of that window discussion. Maybe the window is now because of the fact that they've got such, you know, difficulty with their cap. I, I, I mean, y- y- it's all you, bud. You take it. I, I got nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the window with like 20 million in dead salary on the books. All right. I'm all in. Let's go for it. Like, I, I think they have to sell high on Jake for Tannen, though. I do. They can't afford any more mistakes on the books. He's having a shooting percentage elevated season. His two-way profile is in steep decline. 
This is not the type of player that you can afford to overpay. In fact, they can't afford to overpay anyone at this point. They've done it so frequently in their bottom six, there is no wiggle room. Their margin for error is nil. Now that said, Drance, you're somebody who I respect your opinion on Jake for Tan. And what's your take on this situation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Look, the fact of the matter is they're going to be facing a lot of difficult decisions. Yeah. And, you know, there's certain things like how Adam got at a 10.2C player this summer, right? And usually you could use that to maybe get three years at like 1.5. Right, and hope that sort of in the second and third year of that deal, he becomes, you know, sort of right-handed Nick Benino almost, right? Like a guy smart enough to punish mistakes, maybe not driving play, but a credible third-line center uh, who can maybe even handle more of a matchup role than he has this season. Like, you'd maybe have the flexibility to bet on a guy like that and get mm-hmm. some value down the line when, you know, Pedersen and, and Hughes are being paid 22-plus combined yeah. in terms of their AAV. Conservatively. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> but the, this team's probably going to be in a position where, you know, grinding Godet and doing a one-year deal is their best option because, you know, yes, it's it would be nice to have a $1.5 million third-line center in 2022-23, but you know, right now we need a 750k center, or it's not going to be that cheap. But you know what I'm saying, like yeah. something really affordable because of sort of all the other issues we've got on our books. And and I do think that's sort of something to keep in mind here too. Like, you know, the Wayne Simmons acquisition, for example, was affordable uh, mm-hmm. for from Buffalo's perspective. Vancouver couldn't do that be- once they realized that they had to go find. A replacement for their goaltender, right? Yeah. Especially. Uh, they maybe could have done it. It would have been tight even before that, even with New Jersey retaining half. So, you know, you are going to find yourself in a position where the decisions get harder and the margins get narrower. And, and the Canucks are looking at something like 19 mil in space for 15 players committed. Players. Right? Yep. So you're going to wow. need to fit in eight more roster pieces, including, you know, and the three that I really identify are top six forward. Excuse me, another top six forward, a starting goaltender, and a top four D, and then flesh out the roster after that with 19 million. So it's going to be tight. Yeah. Um, someone in the inbox here, it's unsigned. This is Markstrom's last and only big payday contract. He will sign for uh, less than, uh, he will not sign for less than seven million unless Benning wants another Eric Fiasco. The only thing right. that I would argue with that is I don't know if the market's going to be throwing around seven million per for goaltenders. No, I could see. Six is a possibility. Yeah. yeah, I cannot see seven. Yeah. Uh, and of course, someone else in the inbox, you could find a budget tan of. Well, I know you I know you guys look at the underlying metrics and it's grim. Uh, yeah, his course he's he not is great. Under it's forty percent yeah. without yeah. Quinn Hughes well, on his on his opposite yeah. flank. Do the Canucks have budget Tanev already on the on the roster? Yes, in so. in Troy Stetcher. Where are we at with Brogan Rafferty, then? You know better than a lot of people because you follow the prospects, J.D., but yeah. where is he? Like, what? Like everybody's like, pull him up here. We want to see him. We want to see him. Like, is he legitimately going to be a Canuck moving forward? I, I think the potential exists, but what we have to remember is to contextualize his production, contextualize how well he's playing in the AHL, and we're talking about his 25-year-old. Okay, this isn't somebody in his draft plus two or plus three season. 
I would almost be concerned if he wasn't finding the success that he is. And frankly, what we're seeing lately is he's kind of having a bit of a decline in his, his point production, which I think is reflective of the fact that he was probably getting a few lucky bounces at the beginning of the year that aren't there at present. Now, this isn't supposed to be a Brogan Rafferty hit piece. It's quite the opposite. I think that he can credibly be a 6-7 option perhaps as early as next season. But if you're banking on him to play the minutes that Chris Tanev's playing, to play the minutes that Troy Stetcher has played, that's a fool's gamble. All right, we're up against it here on the other side, guys. We'll put a bow on the show, and we'll take a look at the month ahead for the Canucks and give a, a little preview on what we think uh, is in store for the Canucks. Canucks and Maple Leafs, 4 o'clock puck drop. We got pregame coming up at 3 o'clock. The Alpine Credits pregame show with myself, Andrew Wadden, and J.D. Burke. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. is rink wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Yeah, one last segment to go here on rink wide. We're having our end of the month roundtable. J.D. and myself, Andrew Watton, alongside Thomas Drance, Ian McCletchy, as we get into the stretch drive of the season for the Canucks. Just uh, 19 games left on the schedule, fellas. I'll start with you, Kletch. Uh, where do you foresee this Canucks team headed, especially with a team like Vegas, who is now starting to separate themselves from the pack in the Pacific? Well, I think we expected Vegas to finish on top of the Pacific, so that's maybe to be expected. I do think the Canucks won't clip along at quite the same pace with Thatcher Demko and goal. So I, but I think they're a playoff team. I really do. Like I still think there's too much ground for them to drop off. I think there's enough talent. I think Demko's a good enough goalie that they don't drop off that much. But if you're saying second, third in the Pacific, I'm not sure I would be thinking wild card. But then I think of Minnesota being red hot, and suddenly I start going, hmm. Yeah, well, in Arizona, it's not as easy as it thinks. I do still think though, and I didn't have them as a playoff team. I know that at the start of the year, I didn't think by any chance. But I still think they hang on just enough to get in there. Maybe perhaps a wild card. Durant's are four points separating the Canucks from Arizona right now, and Arizona's on the outside looking in at the wild card. Um, do you think they can maintain their pace here with the Canucks? Because, I mean, second and third in the Pacifics, we kind of all penciled them in. Oh, yeah, that's probably where they're going to finish. There's a good chance they don't get one of those two or three I, spots. I don't buy no. any of the other teams, though. That's the thing, right? So, I mean, look, Vancouver's built their success to this point on the back of three things. Elite goaltending, excellent power play production, and a, and, a, and a dynamic, super elite top line. You know, uh, Jacob Markstrom's injury undermines one of those three to some extent, but I don't think it does enough uh, that the Canucks are going to fall behind the likes of Calgary, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Arizona. Uh, that's just sort of my, my basic view of it. I think they'll have enough in the tank to clinch one of those top three spots in the Pacific. And, and if I was a betting man uh, today, and if I wagered on the sport that I cover, which I do not, I would pick <laughs> them to finish second in the Pacific. Uh, JD, are you, does, does Edmonton scare you at all? They all scare me. This team is going to bottom out. Is it too late to sell? No, I'm kidding. I, th <laughs> I think that... That was the positivity. Yeah, yeah. I think Edmonton poses a real threat. I like the additions they made at the deadline. Granted, they're all hurt, though. I, I know. <laughs> all they're all hurt. Wait, I was just saying granted, man. You gotta let me finish here. This guy's I was on it. Out in a barn after this. <laughs> I was on it. But uh, you know what? Tyler Ennis is still there. That's a good fit on on Connor McDavid's flank. I think. 
I can see the Canucks finishing probably third in the Pacific because same thing as Rance. Like, I'm not especially afraid of the Calgary Flames. I know they made a couple additions to the bottom half of their blue line. Not really the type of players that are going to push the the needle much. Uh, I look at Nashville. There, I like Nashville. I just, I just don't like their goaltending. Yeah, goaltending's terrible. That's I mean, the rest of the team. You're like, wow. Like, yeah. How, how is this happening right? That's now? another team. You put Markstrom on that team, and they're up there with yeah. St. Louis mm-hmm. in the yeah. in mm-hmm. the Central. All right, guys. Well, great stuff. Thanks for joining us today on the uh, Rinkwide Roundtable. I want to thank everyone uh, that listened to the show today. And, of course, you're going to stay with us here because we have the Alpine Credits pregame show coming up next. Andrew Wadden, myself, Andrew Wadden, alongside J.D. Burke. We're going to shepherd you through the next hour, and then it's a 4 o'clock park drop between the Canucks and the Maple Leafs. What are you looking you all puzzled that, for? Do you say that? I don't know. You say that every, all puzzled. You say that every time. But it'll be Andrew Wadden, myself. You say that every time. Well, sorry. <laughs> it's me, isn't it? It throws me for It's kind of weird if I'm just talking about the third It will be Andrew Wadden. It will be me, Ian Andrew Wadden. For, for Andrew whatever Wadden. it's Myself. worth, it's actually J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Ah, yes. yeah, well, yes. let's, let's get the order correct here. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Rinkwide. Keep it locked right here. Alpine Credits pregame show coming up next. When, what do you mean when you say performance like that?